Today, let us open our Bibles to the book of James. First chapter, three verses, verses 9 to 12. Let us read, and then we'll pray. Amen? The word of the Lord says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, and it withers the grass. Its flowers fall, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we heard, as a deer, we want to pan for you. Teach us this morning. I know we tell sometimes we, we come from a burdened week and we don't know how to pan for you. We are, our focus is somewhere else. In our riches, in the pursuit of wealth and happiness. Lord, may we be reminded this morning that only in you we find true joy and satisfaction. Holy Spirit, bring about repentance of hearts conviction Lord re-guide us reposition our hearts calibrate our hearts unto you Lord in your name we pray amen and we find ourselves in James 1 this particular passage of scripture we fairly well known uh, as we we've gone through James 1 we've seen that trials are inevitable they're coming And James wants us to go through trials with joy. And today we find ourselves in this part of Scripture that deals with wealth or the lack thereof. And he deals with this particularly because God is in the business of weakening our fortresses and strongholds to fortify our weaknesses. What do I mean by that? Money is a stronghold. Money is a fortress. Anything that makes us look into, away from God for our protection, that is a fortress we create, an idol in our hearts. And God is in the business of destroying those idols, at least for the believer. And we find ourselves in this passage today. I've titled this sermon, The Poor Man, The Rich Man, and the persevering of trials. Now I have three points this morning. Come from the text. I don't have to become very creative. Number one, the poor man, verse 9. Number two, the rich man, verse 10 and 11. And number three, the persevere until the end. A command, a promise. Now let's deal with the poor man, verse 9. And before I do that, let me get something clear. Both rich and the poor man depicted in this passage are believers. Contrary to popular belief, they say that, well, the poor man is, it's a Christian and the rich man is not. Well, that's not what the text says. If we look at and read the entirety of the book in its proper context, we know that in verse 1, James gives us a clue. His audience is the church. The rich man 
It's part of the church. If you didn't know that, yeah, you, may, you can be rich and be a Christian. You can, right? It's a gift. Every good gift comes from the Lord. Amen? So we've got to get that, that concept right. Okay? Now let's deal with the poor man. James starts off this passage with a paradox. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Other translations put it this way. Let the brother in humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. And James is alluding to his social economic circumstances. And James is asking what he seems inverse to, hu- to human natural thinking. He's asking the poor man to boast about his exaltation. What do you mean, James? What are you talking about? It's, this is like saying to a homeless, I love what you've done with the place. What are you talking about, James? Are you really alluding that I should boast on my negative account balance? That, is that what you're saying? I could barely pay my rent, James. What, what are you saying? Should I boast about that? I mean, the world teaches us that everything that has to do with lowly circumstances ought to look at with disdain. So I don't think that's what James is alluding to. Think about this. Even if you had enough money, you're poor, and you bought a poor man's car, it's always looked at as unworthy and condescension, right? You know Shakira, the new song that she came up with, talking about her ex? She says this, you know, you know he cheated on her, wasn't faithful, but she said this, you exchanged a Ferrari for a Twingo and a Rolex for a Casio. Now, I know the song is not about the poor man or the rich man, but you could tell the mentality of the world, that anything that seems poor or lowly is looked with disdain. Now, everybody knows what a Ferrari is, and everybody knows what a Rolex is. I didn't even know what a Tingo car was. I didn't know that. So, I don't believe that James is encouraging the poor believer to boast about that being poor within itself. Boasting is strictly forbidden in Scripture. The Greek word for boasting in this passage literally means to take pride and to pound your chest. So what is James saying? Well, if we look at Scripture, the only permissible time that we're out to boast, we find it in Jeremiah 9, 23-24, where God says... Do not boast about your riches. Do not boast about your understanding, at your might and power. In this, boast that you understand and that you know me. Amen. So, so in, in, in that sense, James is not saying to the poor man, boast about your lack of resources. He's saying, think about this, your exaltation. Where have we we've heard that before? Well, let's take a look at Ephesians 2, 1, 6. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is his exaltation. And that is what the poor man ought to boast about. You may be poor, you may be lacking resources, but guess what? You have something grander and bigger and better. Don't forget that. Maybe you're an immigrant, and 
and you're struggling to meet your financial obligations, maybe life circumstances or even bad decisions have pressed you down with economic strife. We must be reminded that even our lowly state is a God's, God's provision. Being poor is God's sovereignty. As Job said, the Lord gave and the Lord take, took away. But James reminds the poor man to set his eyes on the eternal, on things that matter the most, and to boast in working for things that really have an effect. Missionary C.T. Studd said this, Only one life to soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That is what James is saying. Look on to things that last. Not on your lack of resources. Your 401k might have taken a tumble. Your savings be depleted. James is saying that your bank account in the heavenly places are infinite in riches. Stephen Cole said this. If you had to come into a lot of money that you had uh, planned to invest, presumably you would take some time, though, and an effort to invest it wisely. You may, have, you may even pay a financial counselor to give you some insight on where to put that money. Yet while most of us, us believers, Christians, are quite careful about investing our monies for our own purposes, we're pretty sloppy when it comes to investing in light of God's kingdom purposes. Isn't that true? What a reminder. In other words, if Christ had a sticker symbol, a ticker symbol in the stock market, invest in him. He won't fail you. His rate of return is infinite. And his dividends are abundant. Perspective. James redefines the meaning of true wealth. Everlasting wealth is spiritual, beloved, and not material. See, we naturally measure ourselves worth by our material possessions, don't we? We do that in Miami pretty well. The gospel reminds us that our wealth or lack of defines, does not define our relationship with God. The gospel reminds us that we are all playing in the same level playing field. If you don't go to Christ, that if you don't make him your savior, you're doomed. Paul Washer said, said this, the cross is not a sign of our great worth, but our great depravity, that we're so evil that the only way we could be saved is by God's Son being crushed under the full force of God's wrath that was due to us. That is the gospel. And that is what James is saying. Boast on the gospel, on what you already possess. Now, don't mean misunderstand me. I, I get it. Uh, you know, if you're a lowly brother, you're rich, if you're poor... You can't pursue a better life. That's not what I'm saying here. Be better at your career. As a matter of fact, you should be ought to be the best worker for God's glory. It was John in his third epistle in chapter 2, he says, what? He desired that all things was well with believers, health, even wealth. But above all else, he says, your spiritual walk with the Lord. Make sure your spiritual walk is higher than your 401k, than your savings account, how productive your work. That is what James is alluding to. Maybe poor, but guess what? There's a promise. 
And it's not that far off. We measure eternity, we measure time through our mortal eyes. And we think that eternity is far off. It's, it's really not. Death could come in an instant. Look at Turkey. People sleeping in their homes. And everything came crashing down. That's the reality of it all. We are all playing the same playing field. And James reminds you of this. Life is short. Forget about your momentary circumstances. Focus, fix your eyes on the Lord. And another reminder is that God is the God of the poor. Is he not? All through scripture, even the law of Moses protected poor people. That discarded the widows, the orphans. God is the God that provides you set your eyes on him, James is saying, he'll provide for what you need. See that repeatedly. It's a theme in scripture, isn't it? Now, point number two, let's deal with the rich man. Because James takes a little bit more time with the rich man than the poor man. It is easier to become a Christian as a poor man than a, a rich person. Christ alluded to that. But I love that Christ said, what's impossible for man, it's possible with God. And we live in Miami, we live in the USA, and I, I for the most part, middle class, I see like most of us, I would I assume, I don't want to, the middle class did not exist in James' time. So for the sake of argument, we're all rich here. For the sake of argument. Most of us have multiple cars, house over our heads, food every day. So let's say we fall on that category, the rich man. So let's deal with the rich man. Maybe we'll see something and work in our hearts this morning. Now, James says in verse 10, And the rich, again alluding to boasting in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. What a reminder. So what is James talking about his humiliation? Well, there are two favorable interpretations. Um, and I'll tell you which one I like best. One, uh, 50% of theologians would say that, he, that the humiliation of the rich is the actual trial, right? Meaning rich people, folk are affluent. They got money and pretty much solves money, solves a lot of the material things we in this world. So being under trial would be that that would be a humiliation for the rich. But I don't think that's congruent. I love the second interpretation best. If we are to boast again, what is it? On God. But how can that be a humiliation for the rich? Well, the humiliation is the reminder of profession of the gospel, faith in Christ, and that in the eyes of the world is humiliation. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who perish. That's what the world says. You may be rich. We all are here for the most part. We've 
come to faith in our Lord. What does the world tell us? What does society tell us? You're a fool for believing in a fairy tale. So I believe the boasting is still in the Lord as you are rich or poor. So in essence, James is telling both the poor man and the rich man, remind yourself of the gospel. And in this, boast and take pride in. And this is why we preach the gospel every Sunday. Because the gospel not only has the power to save us, but to keep our minds fresh in what is ahead. So James is relaying the same message to the rich man as the poor, but he takes a few more notes dedicated to him. And this is a sovereign reminder. James uses an analogy to remind the rich person of their mortality. He uses eastern agriculture and vegetation to prove his statement. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls. It's simple. I don't have to, under- I don't have to explain that. There's no mysterious parable there. Just as the beauty of the field or the green grass, when it receives too much sunlight and little water, it will decay and perish. Although, in other words, too much prosperity can be more dangerous than poverty. Although prosperity and wealth are a good gift from the Lord, and it is, the danger lies in loving the wealth and the riches more than the provider of those wealth and riches. I mean, it is easier for the poor man, poor man to come to the Lord. I mentioned that before. The promise of the gospel is to have a far better, something far better. So in essence, there's much to gain in the gospel. The danger of, for the wealthy is that if they desire the provision above the Savior, then we have a problem. 1 Timothy 6.10 says it best. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, but it doesn't end there. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. He's talking about believers. God in his sovereignty uses wealth to separate true believers from false ones. Be aware of that too. That you are rich and that you have much does not mean that the Lord has favored you in any way. Remember, the gospel is and always will be his gift for us. And money has a way of becoming an idol. It grabs to our very soul, our affections, and turns turns it inside out. If we desire it in the wrong motives... The Bible says that wealth has wings. What does it mean by that? That you're always trying to grab it, but it always fades your fingers. It always escapes, but you continue to go and follow it. John D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men in American history, said this. He was asked, when is enough money for you? And he said, just a little bit more. Or he said, one more dollar. The never-ending pursuit of wealth. That is the deceptiveness of the pursuit of money. It becomes your master. Money 
is a horrible master. This is, and this is particularly dangerous to believers. Maybe you're sitting in this very room and you're struggling with this. How many times you've told yourself, I will serve the Lord when I hit such and such amount of money in my bank account. Or I will take my spiritual walk more serious when I pay off my mortgage. Maybe we don't say that out loud, but we think it. And we live it. These lies we constantly tell ourselves when money is at the very first of our priorities. It's all about priorities. Where are your priorities this morning? Death is the great equalizer. And James uses it to warn the rich brother. Many of us might fall into the category of, again, the middle class, but we're all rich. But be careful. If you grew up in the 90s like I did, there's this great philosopher, for some great, who said, more money, more problems. Now, more money, more problems. More money, more problems. And that couldn't be further from the truth, right? I work at a bank, and I serve a special market, a special niche of high-end customers. If I start mentioning names, you would equate them to incredible wealth. And as I've you know, gotten to, to work in the industry, not only some of them become friends, and they start confiding in you and opening up a, a bit more to the point that they reveal some personal information. Imagine, these are people who have it all who could buy anything they want in an instant. A wire transfer to them is like breathing, a pushable button. But their problems are not small. They're actually magnified with money. You couldn't believe that the struggles of divorces, children bickering and fighting when a loved one dies for money, the atrocities that are done for the pursuit of money. And that is what James is saying. Beware of it all because you're dying. And one day, the same way you came to this world, is the same way you're going to go out. And what really matters is when you open up your spiritual eyes, what's next? That is what James is saying. What profits a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul, Mark says. That's a great reminder for us this morning. Point number three, and I think I'm going a bit fast. But then again, I, I try to get you to your lunch early. Point number three, persevere until the end, verse 12. And I think by error, I forgot to read that this morning. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. We end this passage with, the, with a beatitude. 
a call to both the poor and the rich. A promise to those who persevere unto the end, who have their eyes fixed on God. James says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. The word blessed in Greek is makarios. It's the same word used by our Lord in the Beatitudes. It defines for a profound, deep, inner joy that is only found in God. James extends this joy to those who persevere under trials. Trials will come as sure as we, we breathe. But there is a blessing in persevering every trial. That same joy that James says, is talking about in verse 2. Counted all joy can only be found when we forego through trials and endure. Peter echoes this sentiment. He said, in this you rejoice, same word, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, though it tested by fire, may be found to result a praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't take trials for granted. It is a blessing. And I, I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound crazy. But in a way, Christians ought to want trials. That's a crazy thought. If we're really seeking spiritual things, spiritual growth, if we want to be really like Christ, trials are a way, great way to get us there. Peter and James are saying the same thing. Blessed is the man regardless of class, race, social economic status, who counts it joy to suffer trials because his eyes are fixed on the eternal, knowing that this is only for a little while. And there is a reward. You may be asking yourself, but Daron, how can I persevere through this? How can I persevere when I have no strength? Daron, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand my financial struggles. You don't understand how heavy this trial is right now. I don't pretend to. If we read this passage with one eye, eye closed and without a proper exegesis of the passage, we might find ourselves believing that the persevering is something that we do on our own. And it's not. James says that the promise of victory and the final reward for the persevering Christian is rooted on the love that he or she has for God. But let us remind ourselves that Christ said, you love me because what? I loved you first. So our love is monogistic, not synergistic. We're talking about it this morning. God has called us first. Saved us, procures our sanctification and our glorification. And it's such a relaxing attitude. I mean, at least peace, that's what, I'm, that's what I mean. To know that it's, it's, not, it's not up to me. It's up to Him. It's always been up to Him. 
Christ said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. When we keep our eyes fixed on the cross, we persevere. When we remind ourselves that there is nothing else to hold on to but Jesus, we persevere. Because we know that for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. And the attempt of persevering ourselves and trusting in ourselves for the persevering of trials would be considered works. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 11.30, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Persevering is easy when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and not on our wealth or ourselves. Let me close, on with, close with this. If you're struggling financially, you might be hungry. But this reminds you that you have the bread of life. You might be thirsty, but you have the water of life. You may lack clothing, but you have been clothed with righteousness. In this, we boast. And if you're rich, this passage reminds you to rejoice and to boast about the faith that is in you. That all the money and wealth in the world does not amount to the man on the cross. He is worthy. He is more valuable than all the universe and everything in it. He is and should be your only delight and treasure. That is what James is saying. Boast on Christ. Take pride in Him. So in conclusion, I hope this was a, a reminder this morning. Because we fall in the trap of pursuing money. We heard this message today, and then we'll go back to our work tomorrow, and we may fall back into the trap. This is why we keep the gospel fresh in our minds. We repeat the gospel to us daily. I'll finish with that and let us pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, take the small loaves of breads and fishes and multiply them. We take no glory for ourselves. We know, Lord, and we cling to you. We need you. Lord, your word has been preached. Open up the eyes, spiritual eyes. If some of us are struggling and fighting through this, sometimes falling into the trap of loving money more than you, working for you, Lord, redirect our hearts. Redirect our emotions, our affections for you, Lord. Lord, we need you as a deer pants for water. There's only one Savior. There's only one mediator. There's only one man at the cross who said, Tetelestai, it is finished. And we believe that and we cling to that. Amen. That there's nothing unto ourselves that we're capable and able to do. Nor for salvation, sanctification, or glorification. It's all false in the work of Christ Jesus at the cross. Lord, we need you. Humble us in this area. 
of money and the pursuit of wealth. Lord, everything we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.